Welcome back. This is talent number one, joined by talent number two. We're going to give, I heard that. We're going to give you, I meant you, you know, I meant we're going to give you about an hour, give or take, of uh, solid C plus sports content. So strap in, folks. I don't know if I have C plus in me, man. Um, that's not what we talked about beforehand, but I understand you want to set the expectations high, whether they're realistic or not. So, we'll, yeah, we'll see if we can hit that. Well, you know what? You should be well-preserved because uh, you have a slightly new radio format now, right? In Austin, 104.9 The Horn. I do. I'm, uh, I'm pretty energized right now because uh, I'm doing a show now with Rod Babers, who I talk about a lot, and then also Brad Kellner, who is with our sister podcast, the 1-0 podcast with Joe Cook. You got to check that out. Really good stuff. And Brad was promoted for a reason. Because, as I told you, he's really talented. He's a good friend of mine. Rod is, too. And both those guys were kind of doing their own thing. And so, uh, unfortunately, Chad is no longer a part of the afternoon show. But the good news is everyone's still here. He's doing a 12-3 to 3 show. He'll be able to, with his family, eat with him and spend more time with his daughter, which is a big deal. So, I think everyone wins in the end. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, both those guys know a ton of sports. And we were just going back and forth. That's great. Well, and this also means that you should be doing about 33% less work, right? Well, you, you do know me well, and you know that if I can be part of a really good show and do less work, uh, you know, it wasn't always that way with me. Uh, but uh, as you get older, uh, you, you know, like you, you don't do stuff for free anymore, but you used to. But I kind of get where you're at. You get older and uh, yeah, if I can work smarter, as I call it, and sometimes because of that less than I'm all for it. Yeah. Well, you prove that every week on this podcast, Kevin. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> that wouldn't accomplish. Hey, you know who is definitely proving themselves? Uh, and I think it's uh, been pretty impressive. A five-win win streak for the Texas Longhorn basketball team. We had pretty much dug the grave for Shaka, Smart, and this basketball team not so long ago, right after that Iowa State road blowout where they got humiliated by 29 points on the road. Since then, they've rattled off five wins in a row. Three of those wins have been pretty good RPI uh, hoops power builders. And Texas has gone from likely firing their coach to, I'd say, they're probably the first team on the bubble or maybe first team off the bubble if they go ahead and take care of business against Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think they have to do that. But I think they're, if Lenardi right now with his bracketology is assuming that he's got him in. That's amazing. Uh, it really is. Jerry Palm had them in before the Tech game. But the Tech win and the Oklahoma win are really impressive. Look, I get the Coleman shot was a, was a prayer, and he got lucky. He shot it so hard he banked it in. But the, Texas also shot two free throws compared to 29. And once again, I know this Texas team has been at the lower ranks in the NCAA of shooting free throws, and that's partially because of their offense and and how inept it's been and just shooting a bunch of threes and there's not enough of a floor game, inside-out game, yada, yada, yada. But still, watching that game, there were the refs let a lot of stuff go, and I didn't mind getting some luck, and that's exactly what that was. And that's part of this five-game win streak. But, yes, you have to give Shaka credit because, you know, we didn't – Trey Elling, our buddy, said he wanted him fired – after the Iowa State game at the time. Now, that's shooting him in the back of the head 
There's no doubt we had had shovels out and were digging a grave. So I'm not going to say that we didn't think he should be fired, but at, at the end of the year, and he's been able to do the unthinkable. And he's done it with a cast of, I don't want to say misfits, but guys that he deemed in preseason and early on aren't good enough to get any minutes. I think one thing has been proven with all this. Shaka Smart's a lot better coach with three stars than he is five stars. I think that's right. And you know what? I'm a little surprised Trey had that viewpoint because I don't think there's ever any benefit to firing your coach midseason or in anger or, you know, people, fans always do that. Well, they should fire him on the plane when he lands on the tarmac. That's what I do. And it's, it's like, hey, man, you, you remove all chance and, and negotiating positions with that coach. You don't have the potential for a soft landing. You can't shuffle them off potentially in another program. There's, you, you really get rid of all these other options that are available to you only for a little bit of emotional catharsis. Yeah, no, and, you're right. It's very short term. Yeah, I'm a little surprised Sand Ellinger Elling, had that opinion. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he can get angry. Uh, there's got to be uh, Irish in him uh, somewhere because yeah, he, he can you know he, he can blow it a little bit on stuff like that. But actually, I'll, I'll say this: we we ended up both being right because we were doing the show, and I went back with him, and I said, you know, I essentially said what you just said. I said, well, what do you get out of that? That's just short term anger. That that's reactionary, and in terms of leverage, I said, what do you get out of it? And I said, so Trey. What if he goes undefeated the rest of the way? And, of course, I paused and said, by the way, I think that's laughable. I don't think that's going to happen, and it has so far, and wins out and is in the tournament. I said, Do you, I mean, wouldn't you feel stupid about firing him then? And then Trey's response, which is the reason I'm saying it's right, is because there's a lot, of, a lot of Texas fans, and I'm surprised even at this point they're still there, that said, that's what I'm worried about. And he thinks well, the overview of the program – it, if Shaka makes a run, it's not going to change the fact that there has been four and a half years where he's proven he's probably not the guy if you want this to be a real serious program. And that's what Trey and that's what Brad wants. I We were planning the show last night, and Rod uh, and Brad and I are eating dinner and watching the game, and Brad is is rooting against Texas. I mean, he loves Texas basketball, as does Trey, as much as anyone I know, and it, it's that betterment of the program and – I don't know. I just can't root against these guys, and maybe you say, well, you would if it was Texas football or baseball, and you're not taking it as seriously. Look, I, I love Texas basketball, but I, because of that, I'm kind of rooting for these guys. It's been a good story, man. It has. You know, I can't bring myself to root against Texas yeah. in any scenario, but I will accept the the – I can have my – disappointment softened or I can feel like, you know, in the case of Charlie Strong in Kansas, as we talked about a couple of podcasts ago, you could feel yourself strangely bolstered and enlivened by the fact that you realize as the, the field goal goes through the posts, you're like, Oh, 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 it's over. Like, okay. Okay. This is good. You know, but at the time I still wanted Texas to win the game. I, at no point do I want, I, it's, I just have a hard time reconciling that as that's the emotional part of me. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can't do that, but I still think it's possible that you can still get the result that you want because it's possible that Shaka doesn't – maybe he's not particularly happy here. Maybe he doesn't feel that he's been supported. Maybe he feels some sense of grievance that somehow the program hasn't you know, helped him and achieve and, and he's got some rationale for why he's been largely unsuccessful here. Well, so, we, we, we do have to say that there's no doubt that he and the team, and rightfully so, probably have a lot of F you 
to the fan base because of and to the media and and probably to anyone. Um, and in fairness to us, we were just watching what was out there, man. You know, I mean, th- th- we didn't see this coming, and I doubt he did either. Otherwise, once again, Cunningham, Ham, especially Ham, uh, Kai Jones, Donovan Williams earlier when those guys were forced in a month ago, and it's like, well, wh- where's this energy been? He would have had. Yeah. He, he would have been playing them. I mean, he he didn't he didn't have a good nose for this team. Well, the fact is, every time, and I think uh, Jeff Haley made this observation from uh, from uh, Burn Orange Nation. Yeah, he did and some good work. Basically, said every time Texas has made a little run, it's usually by going small, and it's because they had an injury to their big man. Yeah, and that was the case this year. And it what it shows is Shaka's instincts and construction and and use of a team he just has the wrong instincts and it really took injury and multiple injuries for him to stumble into the correct lineup to find the right energy guys off the bench and Brock Cunningham to get a little bit of injection of energy from Will Baker and by the way if Will Baker starts hitting his shots and his threes you keep him in the game and he's not just going to play 10 to 12 minutes right you you get a little bit of energy from you know Kai Jones you turn over the offense entirely to the three guards Ramey Jones and Coleman, whoever's hot, you ride them, right? Jones yeah. had a big game, scoring game. Ramey has had a couple of big scoring games. Coleman obviously had the big scoring game against OU, scored 40% of the team's points. And then you tell Royce Ham, hey, go be physical, get rebounds. You're the only post on the floor. We're going to spread the court. We're not going to have the lane eaten up with people in the post trying to feed freaking high entry passes at the at the foul line and try to play double post. I mean, it's just nonsense. And it's stuff that Shaka can't really coach. He's not good at it. He's trying to do it anyway. And what do they need to do is open up the court, be a guard oriented basketball team, defend and uh, go out there and try to play. And, and that's what they've done. That's been the formula. And so if they're, if they've got a little F you in them and a little, no one believed in us, that's great. I'll, ha- I'll take any fuel that they, they can find. Yeah. I've got no and, problem uh, being part of that. But the fact is, the observations I think people have made about it have still been accurate, nonetheless. And a lot of this, and I think a lot of the credit just needs to go to the, the players themselves. I think yep. they're playing with a lot of pride and energy and, and representing the, the name on the front of their jerseys as much as the ones on the back of their jerseys. And I appreciate that in those guys. I do, too. I said all year that, that I, I, the one thing I liked about them was they were fighting all year. And I felt even worse for them because I didn't think they were getting the proper direction and coaching that they needed. Uh, he stumbles onto this. He has to do it, but he's made it work to give Shaka some love. And and if you know if they give him if he does make it and makes a run, he deserves to keep his job. I mean, we we all we need to be nimble enough to be able to and be fluid enough to obviously admit when you're wrong. Um, and, and also say you know what I I think I would have said the same thing a month ago too. I'm not even sure. I mean, obviously, if I knew that you know most people would go back and and say the same thing. You know what? So that's where we might actually part ways. Okay. I don't know if he deserves the job still. Oh, I don't either. I, I, I was saying if he makes a run. So if he gets to the Sweet 16 in the tournament, the, the, just getting into the tournament this year, there's a chance you can put two in a row together and win 46 to 45 and 51 to 50, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's possible. It's definitely possible. I mean, anything's possible in the NCAA tournament. And I wouldn't, but I don't want to pin the future of the program or an extension to Shaka Smart, God help us, to. On, on a, like a little tourney run. Well, I don't either, but you know that's what's going to happen if he does. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. And then CDC will have his cover yes. in doing right? But I don't think it's a massive fan rebellion if Shaka revives his 
coaching star, right? And suddenly another team, a Wake Forest, comes in and wants to hire him away. I think CDC would be advised, well advised, to go, oh, oh, we tried. We tried to keep him. Oh, he, oh, well, we got this other guy. Right. So that, that would be my plan, but maybe I'm trying to play 3D chess here. No, that I think we talked about it last week. That is the ideal thing, and, and that's becoming more realistic as Texas plays their way in, where if they do go on a run, maybe there is someone who says, you know what, you know, Shaka's not happy, and we're going to go get him, and that would be, obviously, that would be ideal. Yeah, exactly right. Hey, you know what's also ideal? We have had some folks go and write reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Even if you're not uh, interested in wordsmithing and writing a paragraph, in praise or in critique of our little project, we would definitely appreciate you going to iTunes or wherever you listen and just clicking on the star rating that has tremendous benefit from it for us. And in addition, hit subscribe. If you find yourself listening to this podcast all the time, don't download, go search for it and download it every week, just subscribe. And uh, that has a lot of benefit for the podcast. It lets us know that you're interested. It incentivizes us to keep providing it. And I want to read a review we got from kid tremendous. He says, exceptional. Growing up in Austin, parentheses, McCallum High School, go Knights. Nice. And going to Longhorn Games as a kid, this podcast, it seems, was made for me. I love the nostalgia, trademark Paul Watlington, <laughs> and fun these guys have. I've followed both of, the, both of them for a while in writing and broadcasting. And when I heard the chemistry on Paul's filling on the horn with Kevin, I was hoping they could continue something like this. Delighted that they had the same idea, and it has proven to be such a success. Each week, it's my favorite podcast. Thanks, guys, for the show. Wow, thank you. What's up, fellow unicorn? Unicorn? What makes him a unicorn? He's a lifelong Austinite living in Austin. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Oh, we, don't, we, we don't run into each other. Like, we're, we're friends automatically. Hey, what, what, do you like, ha- what do you have in there, man? It's on me. I was being a literalist there for a moment. I was like, <laughs> right. uh, Kevin McCallum Knights, not the McCallum Unicorns. That's New Braunfels. No, no. I, uh, Craig Way would be quick to correct you on that McCallum. one, didn't he? Yeah, I had a stepdad who went to McCallum, so former stepdad. Craig Way loves to drop Atasca Wampus Cats anytime, anytime he gets a chance. That guy, I, I thought Seaway was going to lose it last night. Uh, he was he was screaming, which I love because he had the same shock all of us did that that thing went in. Uh, although, you know, it's funny because I did say to those guys, I said, you know, you know, it would be ironic if this guy misses both and we come down and hit a three. And I was saying it, not like I was predicting it, but almost, I guess it is, whenever I, my point was, who the hell knows with this team right now? I mean, everything I've predicted is wrong. It's that Costanza thing. I'm going to do the opposite of what I internally feel. Why is a banked-in three considered lucky? That's how I, that's how I hit all my threes. Right. Uh, they didn't have the heart to tell you. We're shooting that a lot. And from that angle, I mean, I tried. I tried to give benefit of the doubt. I tried to think of every basketball game I've seen, I've played, I've picked up organized, covering it, whatever. And no one is banking it from there. He overshot well, it. That's all right. You, you can bank threes, but but I, not from that angle. Oh, I know I can bank threes because that's how I shoot my threes. I shoot a Tim Duncan left-handed set shot from the three-point line. You make- and I use, just like Tim, Tim Duncan, I've been called a master of angles. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, I'd like to see that. You probably make Brock Cunningham – look like Steph Curry, Curry, you know, I mean, where you're just like, you know, very, very uh, robotic, I'm thinking. Well, the reason is when I shoot corner threes, which allegedly, according to the stat nerds, you know, the, the best three you can shoot, 
the problem is that it always lands on the top of the backboard and it just stays there, right? Sometimes it just settles <laughs> on the top of the backboard. Then the game's over. Uh, yeah, there's no goats in our group. <laughs> no, no, no one's going to be taking uh, quarters off the top of the backboard. Oh, I can see. You. Yeah, no, you know? I don't. Uh, I, I, uh, I can. I, I can't Earl, do that anymore. Romantic so goat, you know, what I'm talking about there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to be able to touch the rim. I could jump. That that was the one thing I could do. I could dunk a volleyball, and and I could. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I can't even. I can't dunk a golf ball. My dad could dunk a women's basketball. Once again, it gets to hands, so I could never. Tr- I mean, I could palm a basketball, but I could never do it where I could really palm it. I had to kind of turn it over, so it was those weak things. But uh, yeah, volleyball, I could really get a good grasp on it and get up. But my dad was is five ten and a half, and and he had big time hops. But it's funny how that twitch doesn't move over. I mean, I, I was never fast. Why doesn't anyone ever dunk a marble? I don't know. I mean, I used to. I, I used to dunk. I started with tennis balls actually. Hmm. So is it a hand issue or is it an ups issue? Was your hand not big enough to grasp the, man, the uh, basketball? Yeah, it was that. It wasn't the ups, but obviously if you've got less weight as you're learning and you're just grabbing on the rim and getting to that and you say, oh, I wonder if I can get a, a racquetball over, you know, and you do it with two fingers the first time. I mean, it's all that. You just keep on jumping and jumping and jumping. Yeah. I, uh... That's what I was as a kid. I mean, like my mom – had you know i got i got in trouble so many times because of walls i mean anytime i walked by something i was always jumping i was playing pickup once in college at gregory and i somehow stumbled into the good game (laughs) and uh i was uh playing joey wright was on my team and we were going against lance blanks oh right uh, right lit me up in that game one time by the way uh, Joey wright was very skilled and talk about a guy who could not jump or do much of anything but would still get like 11 rebounds in a basketball game just knowing where the ball was going to go but uh i am that guy in the pickup game who you know i play defense i set picks i try i run right i do things you're supposed to do if there's better players i pass to them i facilitate right right i did the the worst mistake that you could make when you're an unskilled player playing in a good pickup game lance blanks went up to jam I didn't think he was going to jam. I thought he was going to lay it in. No. I ended up undercutting him oh, when he dunked. Oh God! Yeah. Uh, was he Thankfully, still was he still in the league with the Pistons? In? No, no, no. This was in college. Oh, he was in. Jesus, Paul. Well, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't think he's going to try to jam over me. Well, yeah, and I mean, get out of the way. I him on the Let way him down. put on a show. What happened? I caught him on the way down. So all, it was all good. All right. But, uh, yeah, if I hadn't caught him on the way down, I think I would have just left Gregory and changed my student registration. Probably That's transferred. hilarious. I like how I'm worried. I like how I'm worried like it's real time, like they're going to take away the 90, like, Purdue win, you know? <laughs> exactly. Forgot to tell you, but we had to go back in history, and Lance Blanks is a torn ACL. That's right. It, it, there's some alternate reality. There's a, a tear in the fabric of time where Lance Blanks was, had his career tragically ended uh, against, against me, and uh, we never beat Xavier in the NCAA tournament. So, well, that's impressive. Anyway, you were playing those guys in. When I was talking about Joey Wright, he was like, he was 40 when he lit me up. So, yeah, Joey was <laughs> very skilled. Like, Joey could do everything well. I don't think he had a vertical leap over 22 inches. That guy was a really consummate, skilled basketball player, which is why his old man game at 40 was still really damn good. Well, yeah, because nothing changed. No, I mean, <laughs> he was all about pace anyway. 
Yeah, it's like watch, watching Mark Jackson when he was with the Knicks, right? <laughs> right. It didn't matter that he got old and slow. He was always old and slow. It's hey, irrelevant to hey, the game. Hey, Dad, was Mark, uh, Mark Jackson, was he old or just injured when he was at St. John's? Because he looks like the same guy with the Knicks now. No, he's just and, been and like that fat. for 20 years. And also fat. Like, oh, rarely. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you what, you don't see fat NBA players anymore. I'll give credit to the current generation. You had... I mean, you had a pretty decent number of fat NBA players back in the 80s, right? Oh, Late huge. 80s, early 90s. Right, even 90s. I mean, even Tractor Trailer. Well, I mean, so there's the big guy fat who's 6'8", no, tra- 300. That's different. I'm talking about guards. Okay, I'm but Tractor like, Trailer was fat, guards. too. Let's get that out there. But remember God, Sham God for UConn? He had like a roll. He had like a roll. Yeah. On his, <laughs> on I mean, I'm pretty sure he maybe was just his build, but Ramil Robinson had to have some some rolls underneath there. Oh, there's no question. I mean, Charles Barkley, right? Yeah. One of the best 30 players who ever lived. Dude had a, a decent portions of his career in Philly where he was fat. Right. Yeah. And when he won his MVP in 93, he was actually in the best shape he's ever been in. Oh, he was in awesome shape. Late Charles Barkley with the with the Suns was in excellent shape. Yeah. But I mean, there was a time period for the Phillies, I mean, for the 76ers, where I remember he was 300 pounds. Right. Well, a guy who went the other way, who ate his way, I mean, he was in, in 96, was one of the, uh, maybe the second or third best player, Pippen or him. But Sean Kemp was in incredible shape and was just an insane athlete. Remember when he got out of the league? I mean, what he looked like? Yeah. Didn't go well. Oh, he was just bloated. Well, do you remember uh, – well, some of these guys, too, people don't realize the degree to which sometimes their genetics just give out, right? Right. But I remember one time <laughs> they, were, they were following Dwight Howard, uh, one of the many teams that had a, a, a year with Dwight Howard, right, in his career. Mm-hmm. And they assigned the team nutritionist to track him, like physically be in his presence for one week for every meal, right? And they just let Dwight pick whatever meal he wanted, right? They didn't guide him. And then they did an analysis, and they found out that 55% of Dwight Howard's caloric intake in a week was candy. Oh, my God. Lamar Odom probably had that same problem. Remember, oh, yeah. he was a candy-holic. And I don't mean, like, uh, protein bars with chocolate. I mean Skittles. Jeez. Pretty amazing. And then the guy goes out and, you know, has 18 rebounds and blocks six shots. Right. He's actually been the most likable Dwight he's been maybe ever this year at the Lakers. He's kind of playing his role and, and he's got some offensive moves. He's giving him some energy. By likable Dwight, you mean you don't actively despise everything he No, I mean, it's, yeah. pre- it's pretty Switzerland, but at least we got there. Yeah, exactly. All right, you know what else I want to get to? NFL Combine. We had some Longhorns raise their stock in Indy. Uh-huh. And... Uh, we also saw some freak performances as we do every year. And it's just the level of athlete that's coming out of the, into the NFL. I mean, it's a combination of genetics. It's a combination of strength and conditioning programs. It's a combination of well, maybe a little drugs. But uh, it's absolutely amazing what these guys are capable of. And uh, who do we want to extol the virtues of first? We want to talk Texas, or we want to talk general freaks? Um, let's talk talk Texas, and then we'll get to our Isaiah Simmons and the like. All right, talk to me about our man Devin Duvernay. Uh, I think Devin did everything he needed to. You know, you end up uh, running. Ended up being what four three nine, right? That's right. And, and originally had four four. Uh, and look, some guys the of the second day receivers they were faster, and they were putting on. 
the show. I mean, Ruggs was the one everyone wanted to check out, and we'll get to Ruggs and Rager and, and who looked good and who didn't uh, for what it is. But Duvernay needed to look good. I, I will say on the uh, the drill, uh, what do they call it? Wherever you got to go back and forth, you got to stay on the straight line, and they want to see if you can stay on a straight line, looking left, and see your hips kind of open up, look right, catch. Uh, I forgot what they yep. call call that, but we were actually on the phone with Alex Dunlap, who is is one of the is a scout, and he he was saying, oh, you know, he's weaving a little bit too much. I doubt that's going to penalize him, but if you're looking for drills, that wasn't perfect. All in all, I'm sure he had great interviews, and he ran the way he needed to, and the times were there. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not even looking at his vert right now, so I'll have to check that out. But uh, I remember, I mean, everything checked out. It was a good weekend. Yeah, so he delivered what he was supposed to. He did it also at three, a 200 pounds, 39-inch vertical, uh, ran a 439 sub 4440. I think he delivered exactly what NFL teams will draft him to do, which is to go split safeties, go to be a downfield threat. But at the same time, as we talked about, I think, previously, he's actually a guy you can flip the ball out to. And if you have a crappy tackle out there, he's going to run through the arms and, and and, you know, get you 15 yards, right? He'll run through contact. So I think he's the guy that as the NFL passing game gets bigger, as the field gets wider because of the passing rules, I just think he's a more and more valuable asset. Now, the downside for any of the receivers, and this includes Colin Johnson, who only tested on the bench, he didn't run, is that this is one of the deepest wide receiver drafts in NFL history. It's one of the deepest drafts in NFL history, according to all the scouts. And and by the way, I don't think it's one of if – Daniel Jeremiah and all these guys, McShay and all these guys are predicting in the first three rounds, anywhere from 23 to 27 could go. It's no doubt the deepest, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. But Devin came in and did what he was supposed to do. I think, he, as you said, I think he's going to interview well. I think he has a, a air of professionalism and maturity. I just, I just think he's a guy that did himself well for that, that process. I want to talk about Malcolm Roach. Yeah. Because – his performance didn't shock me, but it actually pissed me off. It did, me too. I know exactly where you're going, and and look, I mean, to be that size, and obviously the NFL people had told him. We mentioned this that he was one of the few guys that didn't start a majority of the year. Yet it was almost half. I think it was 13 or 14 of the uh, GMs in the league requested that he come to this so they saw a lot of potential and to run a 484 at almost 300 pounds holy shit man yeah he ran a 484 297 pounds here's the thing we talked about i think i talked about 10 yard splits and then the importance of that for offensive line and defensive line yeah his 10 yard split was a 1.68 to put that into context here are the 10 yard splits of some guys you may have heard of all right quinnon williams the high draft pick from yeah. Alabama, yeah. 1.69. Geno Atkins, 1.75. Georgia. Nadamakan Sue, oh. 1.74. Whoa. Marcel Darius, 1.73. J.J. Watt, ever heard of him? Yeah. 1.71. Well, so he's better than all that. Yeah, I mean, his get-off is elite, and his mobility is tremendous. When they did some of the ball drills, where, you know, the typical football drill where the guy has the ball, and you backpedal, backpedal, and then he moves the ball over, and you shuffle over, and then you break, and all that. Roach was moving the way he moved as a freshman, right? When, yeah. when he was playing outside linebacker for us, right? right. And, uh, I mean, you even saw Malcolm Roach dropping into coverage and, and doing a good job when he was a freshman. He was, he's, as Eric Naline at Inside Texas calls, 
some guys. He was a bouncy, uh, mobile big kid. And he showed that, and then he goes in and peels off a sub 4940. And with that kind of get-off, we chose to play him in a block-absorbing three or five technique where often his first step at the line of scrimmage was lateral. Right. Not vertical, trying to get into disrupt the backfield using that speed, that get-off. I mean, and this was a team, a Todd Orlando defense, and I don't want to go on a Todd Orlando tangent. This is a Todd Orlando defense that struggled to get pressure, but was one of the heaviest blitz defenses in the Big 12. Mm. So the pressure solutions were on the team. No doubt. And Todd Orlando, because of his philosophy and his weird need to script every moment of every uh, step of every player on the, on the defense, he just wouldn't let Malcolm Roach line up in different places and go be a disruptive football player. Yeah, it, it's disappointing. Um, and, you know, I mean, the fact that he had better times, by the way, I want to make sure that that's uh, not taken out of context. I wasn't saying he's better than them, obviously. Uh, that that's, that's part of the frustration Paul and I are talking about and that Paul – uh, nails right there is that little measurements like that the fact that he's even in those type of guys I mean you're naming the best of the best at the next level um, in their ballpark on stuff like that and we see some of the other stuff yeah I mean there's no doubt he's going to go down as one of those guys he will go down like a DJ Monroe or an Eric Metcalf here's a better player um, man we just didn't utilize him the right way did we nope we sure didn't and uh, probably cost him some money in the NFL. So my hope is that scouts do their due diligence. They look at him. And by the way, his tape is good because I wrote exhaustive postmortems for every single game of UT football. And I've done it for every game of his career. And he played really well this year, Kevin. And people don't understand the, how the scheme was constraining him. But if you even just look at an objective source like PFF, he was one of the highest ranked defenders in the Big 12 against the run. But because that's how we used him. And, you know, you had a defense built around absorbing double teams for the front defensive line. And that was a defensive line that was arguably the most talented unit on the defense. And then they were emphasizing the linebackers and trying to keep them free so they could go play make. And the linebackers were, of course, the worst unit on the defense. So he had it all wrong. He should have been trying to create plays, create pressure with that defensive line. Keandre Coburn, Malcolm Roach. Uh, Moro Jomo, all those guys are disruptive. Chris Rat, Chris, Chris Rash, Chris Ash. Let's hope this not. Is, this whole discussion's got me a rash. Yeah, that's, that's what's going on. Let's hope not. Chris Ash is competent. He's going to recognize that. And unfortunately, Malcolm Roach doesn't get a do-over with Chris Ash as a DC. But all those other guys like Coburn, Ojomo, uh, even guys like Jacoby Jones, who is a natural pass rusher, they're all going to get a do-over. And, and God knows what Joseph Osai can do with someone who's actually going to let him rush the passer. So anyway, that's the positive I take from it. I'm bummed out a little for Malcolm Roach because I think it may have cost him a little cash. But he's he certainly improved his stock. And I think he's going to make I think he's going to make NFL draft analysts look at his film a little bit more closely and understand the constraints with which he operated. Yeah, I think he will. He wasn't great in the bench press. Take that for what it is. Sometimes guys have uh, can have really long arms. Uh, and I, I know you probably have uh, his arms. He did what he had average numbers in the vertical and then also uh, the broad jump. All true. All true, all right. right. Let's talk I mean, about freaks. All right, the freaks. Uh, well, actually, let's give Brandon Jones some, some love because it was reported that he watched every uh, defensive snap 
from from uh, last year for for all thirty two teams, and then uh, was like had had notebooks on him. So the only thing he could do was meet, and so make the most of the meeting and try and make a good impression. And when you can't run, and there's questions maybe about your medical, obviously there's a lot of stuff already working against you if you're there and can't do that. But he did everything he could. I thought that was pretty impressive. That is very impressive. And I think he, like similar to Malcolm Roach, I think he's got a story to tell about scheme and that it didn't serve him very well. Now, Brandon Jones, irrespective of the scheme, has a few weaknesses and has has some holes in his game. But I also think he has some real strengths. And part of an NFL team is not evaluating people in just a vacuum, but evaluating based on what they want their guys and their system doing. Yeah. And people tend to think that NFL players are sort of generic. And, you know, and then they think that if you trade for a guy who's been really successful in Philly, well, then he'll be successful in your system. And it really doesn't work that way. You know, there's, there aren't a lot of players who are system immune, right? And, you know, you could take Daryl Revis in his prime. He's going to be very useful to you, no matter what kind of system you're running, right? And his prime is a great player within his system, if you have a, a pure man-to-man coverage outside system, lockdown, boy, he's, he's an average corner. And a lot of this is really just built around skill set. And I think the fact that Brandon put that amount of preparation and time into preparing himself and really trying to shine in the only area that he could shine, that, that says a lot about him. And I think, yeah, I think that's going to play well for NFL teams because I think, I think a lot of us would probably be surprised at the level of immaturity of some of these guys and the lack of professionalism in their meetings. And for them to come in, for him to come in with a notebook and, and tell you what, you know, what system you run, how that system, what he wants to do. Uh, I think for a lot of NFL GM. I think, so, it, I think it was probably. We got to start with the freak of all freaks. You know, what's great whenever you see a freak on the field and a freak in pads with a helmet on and has incredible football speed. But you just know, man, that's more than football speed. This guy, when you put him on a track, is going to be fast. Oh, Isaiah Simmons fits that bill, huh? <laughs> 238 pounds. Jeez. The same 40 as Devin Duvernay, 439. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Like, Look, you know I was on this guy uh, last year and was pretty pumped about him. And for kind of what we saw, but I mean, I four three nine like and your your expectations were high. This guy is uh, the only question is how do you use him? How would you use him? I mean, you play him at linebacker, you play him outside, but I think you it's the new NFL linebacker, which is it's a guy that you want to blitz with. He can still stop the run, he can cover, he can do everything, and you just use him as a band aid and. Wherever you need help, that's where you put Isaiah Simmons. And it doesn't, it's almost like the NBA, and, you, and there's an element of positionless football where there's a blurring of lines between your strong safety and your, your, weak, your weak side linebacker, depending on your system. And I, I just think, you know, he's football player. You, you put him, you know, LB will buy, be by his name, but you're going to play him in a lot of different ways. And, uh, He's just a freak. Yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. And obviously, when you watch him play, he's a good football player. He's a very good football player. He's not just a test guy. So, I was blown. No, I, you're right. I mean, that, that's the thing is that the film kind of matched that. If you just saw him, you'd be like, 
and hadn't seen the film, you'd say, oh, what does this guy look like? Well, he's 6'3 and 5'8, 238, ran the 439 with a 39 in vertical and led the linebackers in broad jump, too. Crazy. So <laughs> I've got another freak for you. Who do you got? Different category, but equally freaky as Isaiah Simmons is what I'll offer to you. Ooh. Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. Ooh, the big tackle. Big tackle from Iowa. And I have a, a little bit of draft theory that's going to come as, as part of introducing Tristan Wirfs as one of these freaks because this is a great draft for offensive linemen, particularly offensive tackles. And what I think is going to the bane of bad NFL franchises, it's, one, it's why the same teams are often drafting at the top, yep. is they go for the quarterback, they go for the, the, the skill player, they go for the running back, the wide receiver, the guy that they think is going to transform their franchise, be the face of the franchise. You always hear that, right? But what that means is some really good Pro Bowl-level offensive defensive backs are going to to places that they would never drop in a normal draft. Yep. And Tristan Wirfs is one of these guys, and he's going to go to a middling NFL team probably, or at least an NFL team with some ability and talent. And he's going to go in day one, be a starter, and probably be plugged in for 14 years at left tackle. So let me give you the rundown on this kid, the Iowa kid. 6'5", 320, ran a 4'8", 640, fastest among all the offensive linemen. He posted a 36-and-a-half-inch vertical. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. And he had a 10-foot broad jump. Uh, that was five inches better than any other lineman. Uh, I mean, the guy is an absolute freak. And what's crazy is if you want a supersized version of Tristan Wirfs, and by the way, 6'5", 320 is pretty big, uh, 6'7", 360, and ran a 5'140". Jeez, okay. Yeah, that, and that, that and is... It, Go ahead. And his feet look good in drills. Man. Uh, so 4.86 for him, 36.5 vert. And you were talking about the 10-yard split, 1.68. Yeah. Well, that's pretty impressive for both of them. For an offensive tackle, right. that is unheard of. No. That, you... is not, that does not happen. And that tells you this guy's got get-off. Now, that's less important in the run game. What that tells you is that if that guy with that sort of power, that sort of speed, that sort of footwork, that sort of natural twitch and quickness, he's not getting speed rushed. If he keeps his form, how the hell are you going to run around that guy? And, and you're going to run through him at 260 pounds playing defensive end in the NFL? Good luck. No, that's why a lot of those teams that, you know, the, the league is so loaded, college football is so loaded, that if you look fifth, sixth rounders like the Patriots do – and really know your shit, then you're going to get a lot of good players that even, you know, even when they overlook them. But definitely in the first round, you can be in the back end and fall in to guys that really should be top six, seven picks. Well, that's, that's what I'm hearing and reading. And obviously I haven't scouted. I keep looking at some of the specs on these guys and looking at, you know, you're realizing that there are guys who in prior years were drafted in the top 10 of the there are guys that are going to go in the second round who are better players than they are. Mm-hmm. How and about- that's unbelievable. So this is the time, this is the draft that you pray if you're an NFL GM that someone fixates on one of those quarterbacks. If you don't need a quarterback, you allow them to trade up and you just take those extra picks, right? Take all those extra second and third round, just draft, a, just feast, just go crazy. That should be your goal if, if you're an NFL team that has an answer at quarterback.
Yeah, and I think that's also where you're going to fall rugs. Not often you see someone uh, run a, what, 4-2-7, 4-2-8, and you're disappointed because he didn't break John Ross's record. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's uh, You're slow, look, he's man. A pure speed guy. What's up? Well, I think he's a pure speed guy. He helped himself in the sense that whether he ran a 4-2-5 or a 4-3-1, I think let's stipulate that he's real, real fast. Yeah, we get it. So to me, his ascension up the draft board based on that performance, to me, is an opportunity for a smarter team who wants to go grab these offensive tackles and defensive backs and these infrastructure players. Hmm. Because if a team is going to overdraft him or actually moved him up their board just based from their evaluation, by the way, he's a, a first rounder. There's no question. But if you're moving this guy from pick 24 to pick 11, then I just think that creates opportunity for the teams that are going to go snatch up a bunch of off stud offensive tackles, defensive backs, and defensive linemen. So Ruggs had a nice showing. Duvernay. Uh, let's get the two Big 12 guys. So th- there were two guys who the the country was the country. Uh, the country was sitting by their radios listening to the president. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, the, you know what I mean. Uh, us douchebags that 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 follow this way too closely. That everyone was curious that and we were hearing talk that it was going to be Rager and Ruggs that could maybe touch the 4-2-2 that John Ross ran a couple years ago. And Ruggs got close to it. But Rager, like, there was something not there. And his times were actually surprising. I still ran in the 4-4s. But it, he's got really good football speed. And I know he's he's been he's done track and he's ran track. Late, and I think there was a little bit of disappointment there. There was, and I think there was a belief that he put on too much bad weight. Yep. Uh, not fat, but just... Too much muscle, maybe, yeah. too much, or just a bad weight for his frame. And uh, I think he weighed in at 205. That's probably not good for him. He's a 5'10", 5'11 guy. He doesn't carry it the way Duvernay does. Yeah, and, and it's not the bad weight that you and I put on, obviously. I mean, that's, that's right. That's exactly right. And I don't think he did very well in some of the drills. I think he looked a little stiff. Yeah. And I think uh, he just was kind of shaky. I got to give props on the freak category to another Big 12 receiver, Denzel Mims, the guy we talked about. So I was setting that up as two guys. And, and, oh, there you go. And Rager was, Rager was the disappointment. Dude, Mims is living up, isn't he? Oh, my God. So Denzel, what made him so spectacular, everyone knew he was 6'3", 207, big body. He can win balls outside. He proved that at Baylor. He ran a 4'3", at that at that size, which is excellent. And I don't, But I don't know if that shocked people necessarily i think they expected him to run well i think what shocked people is that he had the fastest three cone drill of any wide receiver in the draft yeah and with that high base that's going to turn some 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 heads in nfl gm rooms because that 6.6 he ran in the three cone that was half a second faster than devin duvernay right you know i'm looking go ahead I was just going to say, that's a big deal. No, it's a huge deal. And and you're looking at some of the different news that you're, you know, this is actually, we can start looking at mocks, assuming you've read this person before and you've got maybe four or five years of it and you've got a pretty good idea, maybe where their blind spots are and where they can be right on stuff. Um, or you can just get composite stuff, which is actually the best way to go. But I'm seeing Mim, Mims actually for the first time ever in the back end of, of some first round picks. In fact, I've seen Green Bay. Uh, which would be a, I mean, think about that. That's kind of what you're talking about, that if you get, if Green Bay doesn't trade up and gets Denzel Mims at 30 for Aaron Rodgers in the, in the latter part 
of his heyday career than with a new coordinator. I mean, that team needed, you know, needed some juice like that. You know, you, you could you could really change your fortunes because of some of the talent that's coming out. Yeah, I agree, and it actually fits Green Bay's drafting profile, which is speed and size at wide receiver. Some of those guys haven't no worked out for him, right? Like Marquez Valdez Scantling, who people probably don't realize he's six foot four, six five, and ran a four three, but he's just not a great receiver. Denzel Mims is a much better football player, and I think that fits their profile. New England. They're in the market for a field stretcher. They badly need a field stretcher. I mean, I, I said I wasn't joking last podcast. The New England Patriots would have traded their wide receiver core straight up for LSU and Alabama last year. They may have. I mean, look, I, and we may see that because, you know, I, I have seen rugs go ahead of Judy. I think that's JV. I think that's overreacting to, uh, to the combine. I think the question is, does Judy go ahead of CD Lamb? But – you're going to see at least two Alabama receivers go in the, uh, in the first round. I agree. And I think LSU, I, I think Justin Jefferson helped himself. because he did. I think the perception of Justin was, oh, he's long. He's Keenan Allen. He's a consummate route runner. He's reliable. He wins balls. He's smart. He sets people up. No, he's 4-4-3. Four, four, three. Four, three. Yeah, yeah. No, because I, I, that kind of got me. That goes back to expectations, right? Because I, 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 I was – I was curious to see if he's more four five guy. Yeah, I, I thought that I thought he was going to be four five five guy. Right, and uh, there would actually be an opportunity there for an NFL team to grab him and get a really good football player. Right, and I think that went away. I think people. I think he moved up some draft boards, and I think people are are, are renewing their analysis of him as an athlete. So uh, yeah, I, I just think this is going to be a fascinating draft and. Boy, I, I just think, and the more you look at this overemphasis on the headlining quarterbacks at the top of the class, Joe Burrow, Tua, Herbert, uh, even Love, right, the Utah State guy, right. the more people are desperate to find that franchise quarterback, I just got to think some of the smarter teams can exploit those teams at the top looking to move up, and they can just feast on draft picks and load up their team. All right, so let's take us back to, let's say we were doing this 15 years ago, all right? And we were doing the first podcast ever, okay? How would we have started this? We would have started this with, all right, Paul, let's talk freaks here. So, I mean, we obviously got to start at the top. What's the most important? So, did you see Jonathan Taylor, man? Uh, The the 4-3-9 that Taylor ran, and then DeAndre Swift, and then A.J. Dillon at that size. It's funny how running backs, I mean, it's fun to watch them, but their value has just, diminished i mean and and they feel like they're a dime a dozen and i'm not sure that's always the way to go and i do think the three i just mentioned um you know it i'm not sure about swift i I forgot what swift ran but dylan at that size was pretty impressive and then yeah swift ran a 449 and taylor ran a 439 the taylor time surprised me i thought he was big 10 wisconsin volume back no i could have told you that I knew he was, but I also knew, I mean, I guess, yeah, but it's, the 439 shocked me. I, I thought he's a 4-5 guy, but what I always say, pretty straight line. Yeah, he and, is straight line. Um, and that's not necessarily a knock on him, but you're not going to confuse him with, uh, you know, Tevin Coleman. I'm sorry, actually, he's like Tevin Coleman. You're not going to confuse him with Devontae Freeman. Devontae Freeman, yeah. Always injured, right? But uh, or, or the Vikings guy. Uh, 
Dalvin and Cook. Dalvin yeah. Cook has he's the quickest you'll find, right? Yeah. He is the antithesis of that. But there's there is something to a guy who can make a, a single one cut and he's a straight line runner. Uh, but I was surprised he's a four three nine guy. I didn't know he was that fast. That's cool. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole position's been devalued. I've kind of felt that way since Mike Shanahan opened up my eyes back in the Denver days that it was the system dummy. Uh, but I, I still think there's some people that are slow to learn on this. And to me, if I'm an NFL GM, again, it's just another opportunity to exploit some of my other uh, colleagues. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. I, and like anything, it you know, it always the pendulum swings too far and it overcorrects. And that's when in any market, any industry, you can you can take advantage of it because people have blind spots to it. So yeah, I mean, I think there it wouldn't surprise me if someone takes Taylor, if moves up to take Taylor, thirty two, you know, or yeah. or or early in the second round because they're like, look, this guy's this guy's a freak and a good running back, and 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 also we're gonna get him while he's got the most tread on his tires. Yeah, I just I think that's foolish. You know, I I think there is an argument for art, uh, drafting an exceptional running back, right? But I would run him into the ground for four years and then let him walk. Oh, no, there's no doubt. And, and that's what it's I'm always saying. always that second contract that, that kills you. Yeah, and, and by the way, I'm not I, – I would have with some of the running backs we've had. I'm not sure with any of these guys I would spend, a, you know, first couple rounds on them. I, I just think there's too much stuff that I'd want in the candy store. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm one of these guys on record is saying I think re-signing Zeke Elliott was probably a mistake for the Cowboys yeah. if you look at the opportunity cost. So, but, so hey, it, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. No, that's it. I'm good. <laughs> Thank you. Well, speaking of opportunity, there is uh, a lot of opportunity and no cost to our listeners when it comes to mortgage solutions. Gabe's been with us from the start, and uh, if you're probably aware of what's going on with the Fed right now, they just cut interest rates by a full half point, which Cud- is... Cudlow is your friend. Oh, Larry Cudlow. Wow, that guy's been running around on the shows since the 1980s and 90s. That guy's been a fixture, right? Yeah, but, but, he, he, but he's, uh, he's in the White House now. He is in the White House. Yeah. But he ain't, he ain't in charge of the Fed. Uh, no, no, he's not. But isn't he, isn't he part of, uh, kind of some of the recommendations, kind of some of the stuff they're cutting? The Fed is a, is an apolitical organization. They don't care. All right. They, yeah, Cudlow has no, no standing with those fellas other than whatever they talk about informally at a dinner party. Damn it. Damn it. That station's lying to me again. They're lying to you, I'm afraid. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a reason the Fed's independent. You don't necessarily want, well, Individual politicians trying to juice monetary supply for political ends, well, right? Of, so. of, of course I don't, but there's a lot of things that used to be independent that I don't. I feel like are still called independent that aren't independent or don't feel independent. Does that make sense? That's true. But We're the last independent voice out there, Kevin. No, but you're, but you're telling me the Fed is actually still truly independent and not weighed by any political party or person. Well, they're they're weighed by their own individual biases. They're right. human beings, right? So. But yeah, they're not appointed by the president of the United States. In fact, their uh, I believe their appointments are go, go through Congress, and uh, they sort of have to be pretty bipartisan in nature for them right. to go through. But all right, well, I, event, I, I got a little lesson here before we talk about our man Gabe. 
Yeah, well, you, this is I'm in the one in the land of the blind. The one-eyed man is king. Uh, with me <laughs> holding forth about monetary policy, but someone who does know monetary policy at the consumer level is Gabe at Mortgage Solutions. The Fed has cut interest rates by a half point. That's a big deal if you're interested in a mortgage or refining an existing mortgage. Here's the box. I was talking to Gabe earlier. One of our listeners had a arm that he wanted to get out of, and that arm actually had a pretty good rate. It was a three and a half arm, which is phenomenal historically. Right. He wanted to get out of that, take advantage of this environment. On our recommendation, he called, mentioned the podcast, got the $500 against closing. I think he did also get the uh, good faith offer from another lender, so he got another 1000 off cool. from Gabe, which is phenomenal. And Gabe got him a deal at three and a quarter percent on a 15-year note. Well, as that happened, the market continued to move. Gabe being the good guy and the guy who takes care of our listeners the way he does, he realized that there was still a play at hand. And even though it took some money off of his plate, that listener ended up with a 2.75 rate. Jeez. Even after they'd agreed on a 3.25. And but the, so, the balls you have even thinking about at one point from 3.5, you're gonna you're gonna even think about that, you know. And you get it all the way down. I mean, but why not, obviously? I mean, like you said, it's uh, with the environment, go for it. I mean, that's the crazy thing right now. A 3.75 30-year loan, you should be calling me to 557-1095, and he's going to save you a couple of thousand of dollars a year for the lifetime of your loan. This gentleman that called that I was just referring to is now saving $5,000 a year for the next 15 years. That's fantastic. That is awesome. And I am excited. I, it makes me happy to see our listeners rewarded with great service. Yeah. Makes me happy to see them hooked up with a good guy like Gabe. And of course, we get a little bit of love from Gabe for sending him such a great demographic of our listeners. So I need all of you to call Gabe at 832-557-1095. Give him a shot. And uh, look, I, I'm not trying to oversell this or overhype this, but I can just tell you if you Google right now interest rates, history, and you look at the chart and you look at today's date, you'll notice that it's real, real low. <laughs> and I, I, can't, uh, I can't lead you to water any more than that. Pick, so, up, uh, pick up a financial paper. Um, they still have papers, right? Uh, but get online and, and it, it's everywhere. I mean, because like you said, it, it is historic. And hey, man, uh, we, we get screwed enough, the people out there. Let's take advantage of stuff when it's there and Gabe's going to let you do that. You got nothing to lose with it. And most of the people that have done it have only saved money. Yep. And here's the caution. And I don't mean to do this as sort of a, well, today's prices, like they tried to do to you at the used car lot. But the reality is when markets rally, when fears abide from the greater environment, whether it's coronavirus or European uh, issues that they're having in their economy or China's structural debt issues, once those fears subside, interest rates go up quickly Yeah. because, and once you're chasing an interest rate, you're kind of not in a buyer's market anymore. No, seller's no, market. no, you want to be on this end. Cause it will at some point, once it starts, once it's uh, momentum starts heading the other way, then it, you're, you're never too early at that point. That's exactly right. And you don't end up with starting on a 3.25 agreement on a 15, which you're delighted with. And then Gabe's able to get you two seven five, which is absolutely smoking that ain't happening in, in, in a, you know in some time period from now i'm not going to try to predict what that is but we're going to see rates going the other direction not lower so anyway hope i didn't oversell that but no. i do think this is 
an interesting time for our listeners. And if, and if we can do you guys a solid and save you, I don't know, 60, 70 grand over the lifetime of your loan, we feel like we're doing you a service. All right, so let's get to quarterbacks here before we close shop here and, and maybe hit, let's a, do couple, it. Keep, hit a, a couple other things. You're on three hours sleep. We just did our first show here, so we've been prepping for that for like you know a little while and just trying to get get that uh, as as copacetic as possible, at least on the air, which I thought it was. It was a fun first show. But uh, by the way, why did you only get three hours? I only got three hours because I stayed up reading a book, and I have the bad habit of liking to finish a book when I start it. I'm a pretty fast reader. Then I looked up, realized, yeah, oh, it's still 1.30 in the morning. I'm fine. I'm just going to go to bed. You know, I'll, I'll compromise my sleep a little. Tried to go to sleep. Couldn't sleep. Yeah, I've had that happen before. Tossed and turned. And then I made this, the dumber mistake of getting up and getting on my computer. And once you're exposed to that blue light, you ain't going back to bed. No, you, you would have been better off getting some coffee. I, I would have been better off just doing anything but what I did. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you would have had a better chance of getting back to sleep if you would have had coffee as opposed to turning on turning your computer on. Kevin, if I'd done crystal meth, that would have been preferable. <laughs> uh, doing a Still bunch, is. Doing you know a, I could get some? Uh, no. No. Uh, hey, man, look outside. I'm sure there's some people that are... Uh, <laughs> hey, I forgot where I live. You're in the heart of that, brother. You're in the heart of that. I, I briefly forgot where I lived. All right, so let's get to quarterbacks because I am sold on Joe Burrow. I know it was one year, but I think that was more uh, he needed that. And also, I mean, he's grown into that. So uh, right now I'm going to take him as that. And if he goes to the Bengals, all bets are off. But in terms of the other quarterbacks, man, two is getting a lot of love. There's talk about the Redskins at number two, that they're done with Dwayne Haskins already, who actually put together some good games at the end there, a couple of them. Uh, and I, I get the questions on him, but I guess my, my bigger question is, and we knew it was going to happen. It's inevitable. I mean, it, it's so damn predictable because we've seen it forever, but these quote unquote experts, these NFL guys, they fall in love, even though there's tons of film with 22 guys out there, 11, they have to deal with. And there's questions because of that, man, they get up against air and start ripping some throws and all of a sudden, I mean, Tua and Jordan Love are top six for sure, with Herbert top eight, right? Yeah. Look, that I this is a great segue of falling in love with the traits and falling in love with the empty drill, right? Yeah. Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, they looked awesome. The rap against both of them is anticipation. Absolutely. It's, and so how are you going to get it? I mean, we already knew Justin Herbert throws a phenomenal ball. We already knew he's six foot six and a great athlete. We already knew Jordan Love throws a great ball and is a good athlete. The issue is, why did Jordan Love throw double-digit interceptions against Utah, you know, this year for Utah State and look terrible? All right. right? So those are the, here, here's where are the, the structural things you want to get down to. Here's where the excuses come out, the people that are already defending him. I think McShay was doing this, and I think McShay does a good job, but, but he, he was defending and saying, you know, I mean, I think he was just trying to do too much. Uh, oh, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Don't give me that. Don't give me that one, Paul. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think the key to Tom Brady <laughs> is that he does just the right amount right. at all times. That's, exactly. the, that's the key. He doesn't try too hard, you know? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's such a nonsensical descriptor. No. What, what does that mean? 
that he was brothers and that I mean what it means is what they're trying to say is he felt like he had to pick up so much of the slack that he ended up doing so much he didn't become himself well even at that point I'd say okay well that worries me because I'm hiring this guy to be what hopefully what we are going to train him to be himself to be which will be a better quarterback right yep yeah, you have to take away all these subjective elements. You just got to grade his throws, right? Watch the film, grade his throws. Was that a good catchable ball? Did he make a good read? The receiver dropped it. Okay, well, I don't care that it's incomplete. That's a, that's a winning throw. Jordan, on that throw, you get an A, right? The result doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah you're exactly right. The other thing with Eason, Eason has the biggest problem of all of them. He's a sloth when it comes to reading defenses. And but he can he can really grip it. Those guys, I have questions about Tua. And look, and Tua's also one of those, even when he was healthy, you know, he was never pressured. If you look at his numbers when he was pressured, they're nowhere near Joe Burrows. And and so that that's where I still had questions about Tua even before the injury. I've got more now, and I don't think I'd touch any of them with the top five. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting position because if you really do need a quarterback and the change in NFL offenses means that you can get better contributions from a rookie, uh, potentially you can get a better contribution from a rookie or young quarterback early, right? You don't have these your grooming periods, you know, as Aaron Rodgers had, or, or these different quarterbacks, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure to go draft that franchise guy. And here's the other thing. Well, it's also the short lifespan of a GM. So a GM always says, I'm going to get one chance and I may only be here for two to three years. I mean, part of this is on the NFL owners that have been yeah. right, rifling through GMs. So GMs don't feel like I really have time to build something. Dude, you've got to keep your NFL owner away from Jake Fromm. You've got to keep that guy away from Jacob Eason because they see a handsome guy, well-built, oh, absolutely. Oh, he's going to, oh, look, and he was successful at Georgia. Look, he was the winning quarter. Look at his one loss record. And, and suddenly there's this subtle pressure on the GM of, oh, Jake Fromm's going to play well in our media market. And it's like, hey, man, that guy's upside is Andy Dalton, yeah, right? Right. At, at best. Hey, hey, hey trust so, me, he's not going to play well in our media market with the amount of picks he's going to throw. Good looking, <laughs> good looking exactly and right. handsome or not. That is exactly correct. So I just think. There's, yeah, there's a lot of po- political issues. I mean, look, the Dallas Cowboys came pretty close to drafting Johnny Manziel. I know. And you know who they took instead? Who was it? An all-pro guard, Zach Martin. You know why? Cause oh, it was, that's right. It was yeah. one of the first times the football people actually got their way. And what did they do? Well, they nailed it. Yeah, well, the Cowboys have exhibited discipline, right? They've right. drafted offensive line, and, offensive line, defensive and, back. And right? if you remember, I because I had people calling at that point and asking, saying, all right, you're Notre Dame guy, like, how good is this guy? And I said, you guys are not going to regret it. But the thought is, what you can't get caught up in is that Dallas fans, not all of them, but some were disappointed because it's not a sexy pick. I mean, taking a guard's not a sexy pick. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I think you have to stress to your owner – that, yeah, I understand you want a guy to juice ticket sales. I understand you want a face of the franchise. The fact is, Tom Brady, handsome fella, but he's about as boring as vanilla as it gets, at least for the media, right? Yeah. We don't know the true Tom Brady. No. People love him. He's revered. He is the GOAT. He is the ultimate face of the franchise. 
because he wins and he plays great <laughs> in big games. And that's what it really boils down to. So, you know, it shouldn't be lost on these NFL owners that the way to sell tickets, the way to juice the market and all that stuff is have a good winning football team and go draft good players, go draft infrastructure players and have the balls to make those hard calls where the fans are pissed off that you didn't get a face of the franchise quarterback. And you know what? You signed Andy Dalton in free agency to be your, your Josh McCown, right? right? To be your one or two year carryover till next year. But you know what? You went out and got this incredible offensive tackle from Iowa. You went and got the, the Notre Dame tight end in the first round because you traded draft, you traded down to give up that draft pick. Those are guys that are going to build and be the infrastructure of your franchise, then add that young quarterback and actually give them a chance to succeed. I agree. That's kind of what the Niners tried to do. Um, and I know it's a little different with Garoppolo. I mean, it's not always ideal to be able to do that. One more quarterback I want to throw out. Our, our feelings have uh, – we've put our feelings out there that we like the kid and think the world of him as a as a football player, and he's just a tough dude uh, player, really good college player. But Jalen Hurts as a pro quarterback, we got questions about. He's one of those guys. I mean, I, I saw some mistakes, but also against air, he made some throws. He's another guy you'd say, yo, look, turn on some film on him and tell me if you really think some of this up was schemed up with easier throws and easier windows. We can put a lot of air under it. And when he had to fit stuff, it wasn't there. I mean, I, I'm surprised, but I've seen stuff that late first round to maybe second or third. Oh. I know. I know. It blows me away, man. If he's in the sixth round and you want to take a shot, go for it. By all means, if you want to take a flyer on that guy, knock, I'm not even sure he'd be on my draft board, a quarterback. I'll be honest. He wouldn't. He wouldn't be for me. I just think he's a creation of that offense. Now, the argument for him is, is he can go to changing nature back. of NFL offenses, right? The collegeification of NFL offenses. And the, the best argument for is Dak Prescott. Yeah. But Dak Prescott threw the ball great at Mississippi State. Now, not statistically. You can't compare that his senior year at Mississippi State to Hertz's senior year. But he made some throws where we all thought this guy's an NFL quarterback. If you watch the tape and look at the throws, then you look at how he performed in different combine environments, the different uh, senior bowl, all that kind of stuff. People are like, oh, oh, whoa, 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 look at this guy, in, right? In, it was, including the team who was coaching that week. Do you remember who that was? No. They kind of, they, so they kind of lucked into this. The Cowboys were, uh, got to know Dak that week. I didn't know that. Just like the Niners, three of their draft picks this last year. So this is always something to look at when you're kind of cheating on the draft. The Niners took three guys. All of them were 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 guys that really helped out, including Debo Samuel. Yep. The Senior Bowl is very useful. I think it's become a bigger and bigger thing, and going to those practices is a big deal. I mean, it's, I think it's as big a deal as the Combine, or if not bigger. But right. And that's why probably a lot of these guys have, or teams have no problem saying, yeah, we'll, we'll coach that year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd be fighting for it. So, yeah, I don't bet on Hurts. I'm trying not to – I'm not exerting any anti-OU bias, uh, but I I just don't see it. And, boy, you'd have to really have a different kind of offense to have him as your quarterback. And ultimately, my question is, if Lincoln Riley was suddenly made the NFL coach of a a middling NFL franchise, would he target Jalen Hurts to be his quarterback? Uh, No, no, he wouldn't. No, I don't think he would. Uh, no, I secretly 
when he's you know sipping wine. I don't know if he's a wine guy. Whatever. Sip, <laughs> he's a wine guy. <laughs> sipping Shiner Bach, right? There you uh, go. And talking to his buddies, you know, he says, "All right, you guys know how damn good I am now, right? The fact that." I mean, look, Baker and Kyler, you know, had some talent, but come on. And, and look, Jalen has some talent, but we know as a passer, there's a reason he got beat out at Alabama, and he got beat out by guys probably going to go in the top five. But I still think, I mean, if, to take him in the second round, um, I, I guess if you want to throw a flyer out there, and heck, maybe I'll be proven wrong. We'll we'll, we'll see, but I, I just don't see it at all. Boy, I don't see that at all, and I'd question that evaluation. I I, I'd set sense to me like a Mel Kuyper type dude or Todd McShay getting led along the primrose path by a KGGM who's trying to inflate his value. And, and you know, I mean, as a, as a smart GM, you're heavily incentivized to talk up players you have no interest in. Oh, absolutely. Who, have, who might have some appeal because of their college performance or their numbers or something about them. And then it's just another way you can go get a bunch of DBs and defensive tackles and grunts, right, that are going to actually make your football team good. So, yeah, I, I got to think that those guys are getting bullshitted pretty hard. I would think so, but I've seen enough people say that they got really good reviews, that there were enough teams that really liked uh, Hurts. I'm guessing maybe half of them, if not more, are, bull, are just bullshitting, like you said, to hope someone takes him in the early second round because they've got a – mid second round and it'll just take one more you, you want as many dumbasses around you to make sure that there's still enough shrimp at the buffet that's exactly that's exactly right it's the it's the guys that go fill up on bread at the brazilian steakhouse right, right. they go hit the salad bar and hey. start eating bread and i'm like i'm waiting for tenderloin here bud yeah what, you, are, you, what are you doing hey you heard those cheese sticks are out over there right go you go check yeah. those out <laughs> these are the guys that go eat a big lunch before the dinner at the brazilian steakhouse it's like <laughs> right I'm not having breakfast. I'm yeah, less lunch. I'm. I'm not even have. I'm not even drinking much water that day. Like I'm. I'm in it to win it. I'm training. I am drinking water because water stretches your stomach out. Ah, you know all these little uh, like TV things from being on air, right? No, I just know that because I'm a food nerd. All right, so all right. I think I, I think I learned that from from Bourdain because Bourdain would train for that because that guy would. I couldn't believe how much they would drink. But also, I mean, how much he would eat on some of these things. I mean, it's he had an epic one in Montreal, which is just a, a food capital uh, around the world. But definitely for Canada, I mean, uh, that, that place is nuts. And he went to a place that serves nothing but foie gras and had 20, oh, wow. 20 different dishes of it and just kept on going. And I, I, I was pretty damn impressed. But I ended up reading his book, The Secrets, that it'll stretch your stomach out. I think early in the morning if you drink it. Uh, so yeah, you don't want to drink it all day, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you gotta be ready for that shit. Yeah. Well, you know what? I learned something. I thought this is one of your on air talent deals where like you put cucumber slices on your eyes to get rid of <laughs> wrinkles and all these little things that you, you learn. But, I, uh, no, you got this honestly from reading, no less. Yes. From reading top to bottom, left to right, top to bottom, left to right. <laughs> um, all right, hey, mate. Well, do you have anything uh, else? Hit this podcast top to bottom, left to right pretty well. Yeah, we did. And once again, it flew by, man. Yep. One last thought. Yeah. Go out. Do yourself a favor. Give Gabe a con uh, call at Mortgage Solutions, 832-557-1095. Mention the podcast. you get 500 off of closing. Bring him a, a good faith estimate from another lender. He'll beat that by a grand, and he's going to save you a bunch of money over the life of your loan. We're in a pretty unique economic opportunity right now. I would go 
look at refining or buying a new house if you if you're in the market. And I think Gabe is the guy I'd do it with. So uh, you guys, balls in your court. We'll talk to you all next week.